Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, do any of you like ice cream? Okay, let's see a show of hands of those who don't like ice cream. Dude, this is like an American miracle. We have unanimity. <laughs> Everybody, this is 100% vote. Everyone likes ice cream? Wow, me too. Okay, how many of you love vanilla ice cream? And how many, well, how do we do this? If you love something, if your preference is something other than vanilla, raise your hand. I can't go. Dude, that is my very favorite, double chocolate malted crunch. <laughs> How many are vanilla people? You just, ah, yeah, vanilla works, right? Van you know, there are times when vanilla is just the right thing, especially if you have slightly warmed cherry cobbler. You like peach? No, cherry. How many cherries and how many peaches? Yeah. Blueberry. I like blueberry. And since, well, so we live, though, near Julian, so apple's got to be in there. But I like apple with, with a friend, like apple boysenberry. You know? They, they, you know, Carissa's boyfriend is a pistachio guy. I was just with uh, my daughter in Santa Barbara, um, bringing, helping her pack up for the year. She finished her junior year. Congratulations to all of you that are students that may have finished another year of school. And we stopped in Santa Barbara and found a little handcrafted ice cream place. And they had, um, the flavor for the day was custard with blueberry swirl. Does that sound good? But, Daria, they had malt ball ice cream. And malt ball, chocolate-covered malt balls is definitely what Jesus is serving in heaven, I'm certain <laughs> No. She said apple pie with cheddar cheese. If, if, sorry. We just lost unanimity. <laughs> no. What did you say, Michael? Yeah, no, she, didn't get, she did not get you kicked out of heaven. There's a spot for whatever she said that had cheddar cheese on it. What was it? Okay, so she, Daria's talking right now, for those of you on, online, and, and she knows Italian food. I one time went to a, a, a restaurant in um, Little Italy called Godfather's. Remember that? Claremont Mesa Godfather's. Oh, Claremont Mesa Godfather's. <laughs> and she had to call out Tony. <laughs> and he was, like, scared because she's so Italian. And she's going, you know, and her hand's like this. <laughs> I, I was thinking, would your food be like my mother's, right? And Tony got scared, and she went, very good. And he was, uh, so, so if Darius says, apple pie with cheddar cheese, I say, don't knock it till you try it, all right? <laughs> See? 
Okay, blame it on the French. That's always a good move, just in case. So sometimes people wonder if my motive is to, they, they would use the word, convert people to Christianity. You know, get conversions. And that, I sort of get what they're thinking. Ran, ran into someone this week. It was like, oh, are you going to try to convert me? And that is just not how I think. Um, what gets me out of bed in the mornings, when I think of why I'm here today, what, what am I about, it's not to get converts. Like, as with, with, I think the thinking there is, if I could just convince someone that I'm right, then they would join my club and also be in my Christian club with me because I convinced them that I'm right and they were wrong. That, that mindset, and that is not like my, that's, that's not my vibe at all. That's not my jam. That's not what I'm thinking. What I'm thinking is if I can facilitate an encounter between a person and Jesus, like, a, like for those listening, if you don't know, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that think Jesus is real, that he was a human being who lived fully God, fully man, died, rose from the dead, and he is very available by his spirit for amazing interaction right now. Like, we can know him. So if I can help someone have an encounter with the living Jesus, such that they begin to experience him, experience his presence, his peace, his love, his acceptance, such that they have the light turn on and they get an understanding of what he taught and what his what his death on the cross was about, what his resurrection was about, what it means for them. I figure when someone has an encounter with Jesus, it's conceivable that they might walk away from him, but doubtful. That most people, if they actually encounter Jesus, fall in love with him. Kind of like 100% of you have met ice cream. <laughs> and I would never try to convert you to my ice cream club but I might introduce you, I might give you a taste. I might help you encounter double chocolate malted crunch. And if you're like me, that's all I need to do. I don't need to convince you. Don't need to convince you. I just need you to taste and see that the ice cream is good. And I'm going to, one of these days, taste and see what I think of apple pie with cheddar cheese. Thank you, Daria. But... Does anyone else want to try that? No? Hey, Daria, we're going to have one of those potlucks. Would you be willing to make an apple pie with cheddar cheese at the next potluck? I'm not going to bake it, but I would put the Carolee apple pie in the oven. Yeah? Okay, she's going to put the pie in the oven. She's not a baker. She's more, she's more about the pasta, I think. So, so she'll put the apple pie. So next... That's the first Sunday in July. You might need to bake a few because we have some people that want to try your... So we will taste and see, and some of us will be converts. <laughs> yeah, but you get my point? Uh, so we, we, what I just said, we have as what some people call a vision statement. A vision statement is a picture, a description of a preferred future. And the picture that we see, and this comes from what we read in the Bible, as best we can understand it, is our vision is for people everywhere to know God, to have an encounter with God, to know Him. And as a result, 
to worship him in all his goodness and glory, all his glory and goodness, to know him, encounter him, to taste and see that he's good. Now, if you call that making converts, that, it seems way different to me. I'm not trying to talk someone into anything. I'm hoping to facilitate an encounter with the living God. Because if you can walk away from that, then I don't understand you, but you know, go do your life the way you want to then after that, or maybe have another encounter. But most people, it's hard to resist Jesus. He's so good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And what we, from reading the words of Jesus, think his, his method of helping facilitate encounters is creating communities of people that have encountered him, that are worshiping him, and that are growing and becoming like him, and even empowered by him to do the works that he did. We call that our mission. Our mission is to build communities, maybe multiply would be a good word, multiply communities of worshipers who are becoming like Jesus, who are empowered to do his works. That's what I'm about. That's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And what I'm talking about today, last week and next week, is all about that. Now, was anyone here last week? A few of you, okay. Do you remember at all, even remotely, what our topic was? Hey, that was it. Yeah, real God. So we're actually stealing from that phrase that's on our logo. It says, real God, real people, restoring lives, which I told you last week is packed full of meaning for us, right out of the Bible. And I, was, I felt like I should spend just a little time right now uh, unpacking some of that for us. And we talked last week about the presence of God, about how God, in the past through the nation of Israel, created a temple, first a tent, a tabernacle, then a tent, a tab- I mean, then a temple, a physical place where he chose to meet with people. And it was so impactful and so absolutely real that the presence of God was seen like a flame at night, like a cloud during the day with the, te- with the tent, and certainly the same sort of thing, the presence, the glory of God, the manifestation of his presence, his goodness, the reflection of everything about him, was actually there. So people would see God is there. And then we read how in this new relationship, the new covenant, the New Testament, this new covenant God has made with people where he puts his laws not on stone but on their hearts, and he inhabits people with his presence. We read that Jesus is building a new temple this time, not with stones that you, know, that you would quarry out of granite, but stones that are living stones made of people that come together and form a living temple where he lives by his spirit. So we, the body of Jesus, are the new temple. And we are to be marked by his presence, so much so that people encounter him when they encounter us, especially when we're worshiping. So that was what we were talking about, real God, that we have real encounters. And the phrase we have uh, for that, we said this, God is real, real God. God is alive. When we meet together, he shows up. And we said, well, what does that mean? Isn't he everywhere all the time anyway? And we talked about the specific ways he shows up. We experience him through his word, through his spirit and each other. We quoted Jesus for where two or three have gathered together in my name, I'm there with them in their midst. That was last week. This week, we're looking at the phrase, real people. 
I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. But here's how we put it. You could find this on our website, or you might find this in some I don't know, literature or something. We say these words, real people, come as you are. We grow by getting real with God and others in genuine, caring relationship. And we had a scripture for that, a verse that says this, every day, describing the church, they continued, the new church, they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes, so they had big meetings and small meetings, and ate together, and they had a lot of food, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, today... I have a pretty simple sort of outline in my mind of what I want to share with you. I have two thoughts of things that I think are not optional for followers of Jesus, and then a conclusion thought about those two things. So this is kind of easy to follow along, and I'll tell you what they are right now, and then we'll talk about them more. So the first thought about something that's not optional, and I even, have, I even gave it to the projector guy, so it'll probably show up on the screen. The first thought is that kind of a a $2 word or $2 phrase, mutual interdependence, mutual interdependence. Mutual interdependence with brothers and sisters in the body of Christ is not optional for disciples. Or in other words, to say, another way, positive way of saying that, instead of saying something's not optional, I would say this, followers of Jesus share mutual interdependence with each other. And by the way, that flows out of what I said earlier about a temple made of living stones. So you picture, when you picture bricks, how they're kind of interlocking. You know, one half on the other, and then another, and then there's mortar, and they're all tied together, and they together tie together a structure that's solid, that's not easily to, easy to knock down. They're interdependent, the bricks are. Each brick needs the other brick. Actually, uh, someone tell me, are there five bricks around? There's this brick, and then this one, and then this one, and then this one over here, and then this one. There's like five connected, I think. They're all connected. And together, they are part of a strong structure. Or, another, another picture in the Bible, these are both in the Bible, is that we are like a body with many parts that are unique but interdependent and needing each other. So Paul said these words, you know, the eye is important and the hand is important, but the eye can't say, I don't need the hand because I'm an eye and isn't it better to see? And the hand can't say, well, I don't need the eye because isn't it better to get something done? You know, we, we all need each other. We're interdependent. We're mutually interdependent. I'm going to talk about that more. So the first thing is, remember I said three thoughts. The first thought is, for followers of Jesus, it is natural that we be mutually interdependent. The second thought is, spiritual growth is not optional for followers of Jesus. To say that positively, followers of Jesus are growing spiritually. So we're going to be able to remember this, right? When I come next week and say, what did we talk about? You'll go, oh, yeah, I remember. Mutual interdependence, spiritual growth. And the third thing flows out of those, and the idea here is um, kind of a conclusion, that the path of spiritual growth takes place in the context of community. The path of spiritual growth takes place in the context of community. Now, let me just add, a, let me disagree with me, because <laughs> some of you might be having this thought. Yes, there are parts of spiritual growth that are just between me and God. That's definitely true. 
there are things that I do to continue to grow spiritually that are just a me and God thing. Um, spending time alone with the Lord was just a me and God thing, and it's good. But a huge part, I want to say, of spiritual growth is in the context of community. So those two thoughts come together. We are called to be mutually interdependent, and we are called to grow spiritually, and we're called to do it together. And I'll just ask you right now to think, if that's true, where in your life would we see evidence that you are mutually interdependent with other people in the body of Christ? Where in your life are you putting priority on being connected in a way that you could grow spiritually with the body of Christ? And if it's true, and we're going to talk about these three thoughts a little more fully, if it becomes true, maybe I will think I need to shift the priorities of how I'm choosing to spend my life so that I'm connected and so that I'm growing. Sound good? Challenging already, but hopefully the juices are flowing. Hopefully the juices are flowing. So the first thing to talk about is this this phrase, mutual interdependence. What, by the way, do you want to give me your thoughts already? What would, what would you think I might be meaning, mutual interdependence? What, what could that possibly mean? Any? Bible study? Well, so that's something you do, but that doesn't, well, yeah, it works, it works for me. So, yeah, okay, okay, so that's an activity. What's some other descriptions of what it would be to be mutually interdependent? We're woven together. Oh, so you have another, another metaphor, a word picture. Woven together like fabric. Okay. Oh, by the way, let me say this because I'll probably forget to say this. I think of this in terms of like a group of us, but I also think of this worldwide, that the body of Jesus includes all of the followers of Jesus, the Catholics, the Pentecostals, the Methodists, you know, uh, we all, the Anglicans, we, the Episcopalians, every brand, so to speak, of people that are following Jesus, together we have something to offer to each other. The Bible would be very clear that there is something for us to get from each other to be full, to be whole, to be healthy, to be mature. Okay, so fabric. Any other? Ministry. Okay, so that's, that's another really cool aspect. So when... Two, three of us go do something to represent Jesus in serving people. I mean, obviously comes to mind would be like, okay, we're going we're gonna to feed someone who is poor and hungry. So we go and do some kind of ministry of sharing um, practical needs with someone and probably praying for them. So now we're, we're working together, but the, the, the team need each other, and we each have other parts to offer. And as we go do ministry together... We are relying on each other, and we're interdependent. So I'm dependent on you. You're dependent on me. We are interdependent with each other. I need what you have. You need what I have. And it's mutual. Give and take, both. It's not, it's not I have what you need, so work with me. Follow me, and you'll gain from what I have. That's not that. That's not mutual. Worshiping would be another one. Great job, Randy. Worshiping, when we worship together... 
there is a connection and an interdependence, and especially we have someone leading, someone has a prophetic word that helps stimulate the thoughts toward God and what God is saying to us, and it all flows together. So that is life in the body. Now, Oh, yes, I'm going to get to that, Denise. You, you, you're jumping ahead on my notes there. <laughs> Very good. What she said was, I have to be open to receiving. You, you, you get an uh, A and a gold star. <laughs> so, so let me read a quote to you from a book that uh, two guys wrote. The book is called Building a Church of Small Groups. So you can imagine what that book is about. It's about practical, the the idea of small groups as the foundation of a church. This is Bill Donahue and Russ Robinson. There is no fast food at the table of community. Spiritual growth cannot take place apart from community, and the fruit of such growth can only be expressed in community. Christ-likeness is relational to the core. I think that's a good quote. You like that? Christ-likeness, which is the result of spiritual growth, is relational to the core. And here's another one. This is um, from the uh, name probably is more familiar, John Wimber. And I don't remember where I got this, if I listened to him say it or if I took it from a book. But he, he said this, God intends that the church be a place of positive, loving, and accepting relationships, a place where righteousness reigns and in which people know and are known by others. That's mutual, know and known. In a word, we all need a place we can call home, and that's the essence of fellowship. I really like that one. So here's another quote, but this one is from the Bible. So I have the most weight on this one. And I'm using the message translation or paraphrase. Um, so taking you know, Greek and putting it in modern English is the goal of this translation. This is from Romans chapter 12. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole and not the other way around. Pause. Think about that. Each part gets its meaning from the whole. I'm connected in a body of believers, and I get meaning from the contribution of the whole. What an interesting thought. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. You hear already in this this scripture quite an opposition to the independent attitude. I mean, he's 180 degrees coming from another angle, not independence, but interdependence. But as a chopped off finger or cut off toe wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we're made to be. Let's just be what we're made to be. Without enviously or pridefully 
comparing ourselves with each other. Not, oh, I wish I could sing like Amy, then I'd be happy. She's so gifted, and I got nothing. That's enviously looking at another and comparing. But not pridefully. I'm here, you lucky people. (laughs) You smile and your teeth goes, ding. (laughs) Bet you're glad I'm with you today. I'm going to show you all my goods. No, not pridefully comparing, not enviously comparing, not trying to be something we aren't. Knowing God has made me and it's good, just the way I'm made. He likes me, so I'm going to be okay with me too. I'm just fine the way I am. I'm not better than, and I'm not less than, I just am. So, so I know that, and since I know that my part contributes to the whole, and I get my meaning from the whole, and the whole gets its meaning also from all of the parts, I better just show up and be what I've been made to be and get mutually interdependent, and like Denise said, choose to allow that. I loved um, that part about, I, I kind of emphasized it when I read it, the part from John Wimber's quote about know and be known. And this is what I want to say related to um, what you were saying, Denise. We need two parts here if we're mutually interdependent. We need to be generously giving and humbly receiving. Now, some folks tend to be the generous givers who never receive. Have you ever met or looked in the mirror and seen that person? When I just give, I, in some sense, am putting a mask on and not being real. I'm just the guy that has resource to give away. I must have it together because I'm giving you something. There's not interdependence there, and there's a little bit of a mask. And some of us hide behind our ability just to serve, 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 give, 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 and never receive. But I need to be someone who also can humbly say, I need help. Would you please help me and receive from what you have for me? Now there's a give and a take, and something about spiritual growth is starting to take place just by mutual interdependence. you see that? Uh, some, some of us only receive and never give, sometimes because of shame and this feeling that I'm less than I have nothing to give, and occasionally I'll guess I'll receive, or maybe uh, I feel so needy that all I can do is receive because I can't even take care of myself. That's another way to hide. Uh, by the way, when I talk like this, it's good to ask yourself, am I one of those? Am I someone who's always giving, but I'm too scared to share my needs so that I can receive. And if what Ron is saying is true, the first thing I said is, followers of Jesus are mutually interdependent. If that's true, and that implies I give and I receive, and I'm not receiving, maybe I need to adjust something in my life so that I'll be healthier and the body of Christ will be healthier, both locally and, you know, it, it tends to spread around the world as each person grows and does his part, her part, receives. The whole thing rises to be a temple where Jesus lives by his spirit. So both are super important. Mutual interdependence is, in my opinion, marked by authenticity. So that's the real people thing. 
It's relationship without facades. If we're going to be interdependent, we have to begin to drop the facades and present us as we are and as we hope to be and grow together. But no faking it till you're making it. Just being real. It's also, so it's marked by authentic relationship. It's marked by compassion. And compassion, one of the things I notice about compassion when I'm in a relationship with someone is compassion is usually not real quick to give advice. Have you ever started to share your need with someone and your, your hope is that they will step into your, your wound, your loss, your pain with you? And feel, compassion means to feel with. Rather than jump into telling you how to get out of your situation, I know that husbands are famous for doing this with wives. <laughs> Go to the solution. Compassion involves just caring and being present. Just being present, which is a huge part of mutual interdependence. So authentic relationships, compassion, and then there's mercy. And that's when you put your compassion into action without judgment. Um, sometimes we're quick to try to want to tell people, well, if you would just do this and stop doing that, then you won't get yourself in these problems all the time, but I'm going to help you. That's not mercy, right? Mercy is compassion in action without judgment. At least that's how I would look at it. And so we'll, we'll develop this a little bit more as time, as the morning goes on. Um, but this, so the first thought was mutual interdependence. The second thought was, well, spiritual growth is not optional. It's something that has to be happening if I'm a follower of Jesus. And you, I, that's probably obvious. Huh? What would you, how would you describe spiritual growth, by the way? Talk to me. Spiritual growth. How would you describe spiritual growth? Moving forward. So you're not just stuck where you are. You're moving forward. You're always moving to something more, something, the next place. What, what did you say over here? Growing in relationship with Jesus so you can grow in relations with peeps. Are those those little Easter chickens that are made out of marshmallow? No, she means people. So it's growing in relationship with Jesus so that you grow in your relationship with people. Someone else. Growing in discernment would be a part. Okay, and that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. So you might say um, growing in the characteristics that describe Jesus himself would be spiritual growth. Um, so far in my life and in my reading of history, there has never been a person other than Jesus that could say, I've arrived and I'm going to stop growing now. I've, I've reached it, you know, I'm now 55 years old and I've reached everything there is to grow into. There's no such person. 17 and 18-year-olds sometimes think they've arrived at that. <laughs> and they will now instruct their parents in the ways of life. But then they realize at 25 that I guess mom did know something. <laughs> 1 Peter 2, 2 says this. This is Peter, that great apostle who learned a lot, is writing to Christians somewhat later in his life, and he said, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. And he's talking to people that have been in Christ for a while. Crave spiritual milk. I think he's primarily referring to the Word of God. 
crave it because it's like spiritual milk is to babies. And you'll remember the language of Jesus, you are born again when you put your faith in me. So we are in salvation, but we're to grow into salvation. You know, when Matt preaches, he'll tell us that it's salvation. We are being saved because it's a long process. We were saved, we're being saved, and when Jesus returns, we'll be saved. Right? So there's a process of growing into salvation. Now, that, Oh, this is what I said earlier about ice cream. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good, you've tasted it, now grow. Spiritual growth is not optional for followers of Jesus. It's what we do. At uh, the end of that, second later, he's, he writes, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace. That was, kind of his fin- that was his final conclusion in the second letter. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to read a, a slightly longer phrase, um, and I just don't have time to sort of teach through it, but it's, it teaches itself, hopefully. Listen to these words from Peter in his second letter. God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own, here's that phrase, glory and goodness. Through these promises, he has given us, oh, I mean, through these, his glory and goodness, he's given us very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature that's amazing. And escape the corruption that's caused by evil desires. The corruption in the world that's caused by evil desires. For this very reason, watch Peter say, here's what you should do. Make every effort. Oh, what is that? Make every effort. You want to say that with me? Make every effort to add to your faith. So you've come into new birth. You've had faith given to you by the Lord so that you could see it. You encounter Jesus and you put your faith in him. Add to that faith goodness, or godliness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control. You're going to need self-control if you know a lot, because know-it-alls without self-control are pains. To self-control, perseverance, keep going, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, Love. Do you hear those steps? And that would be fun to do a study, right? Just to go through every one of those steps. But in other words, Peter's saying, you guys, there's a lot of growth, and here's some steps that we should be making every effort to add to. Four, watch this promise. If you possess these qualities, and in increasing measure, continual growth, always moving forward, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone does not have these features, he's blind, nearsighted. He's forgotten what God saved him from. He's forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. He's gotten lethargic. He stopped growing. He stopped being effective. He's blind if we're not growing. That's a strong, that's a strong diagnosis, isn't it? Okay, so I would say from that, just... You know, one phrase. It's not optional to stop growing. So, again, I want to be asking myself, am I growing? Have I forgotten where I came from? Have I forgotten where God wants to take me? Have I stopped growing? If so, what do I want to change in my life 
so that I get back in the path of continually growing in Christ-likeness. That was the second thought. Remember, the first was mutual interdependence. Second is we always grow. And the third brought them together and said the path to spiritual growth is in the context of community. Um, there was a, a great preacher named Don Williams. He's actually still alive, but quite old now. And he pastored a vineyard church in, um, in La Jolla. Before that, he was a well-known Presbyterian preacher, phenomenal preacher. I think, did, did he go to Princeton? Yeah, Matt went to Princeton, so he knew of Don. Don went to Princeton, and um, man, did he handle the word of God powerfully. He also was a big fan of the recovery community and the wisdom of 12-step. And he would basically say, yeah, everyone's in recovery. We, we all need to live in recovery from sin, at least, and all the addictions we have. But, but he famously said, we are wounded in community, therefore we are healed in community. Uh, if you know anything about addiction, you realize that addiction generally just doesn't pop up and someone goes, hey, I want to be addicted to a drug. It starts out usually from a wound, and the substance or the activity, the gambling, the sexual addiction, the drug use, the drinking, brings some peace to the wound. It's a medicine. So then people bring this false healing and get addicted. That's usually how it works, which takes away, by the way, judgment against people who have addiction issues. When you realize, oh, this is the, the root of this is a wound. If we can get the wound healed, we can probably deal with the addiction practice. I think, I'm not, you know, I'm not a recovery expert, but I think there's some part of that in the whole process of the 12 steps in the recovery. We've, we were wounded in community, so we need to be healed in community. I think that's a great quote from Don, and it, it, I it think it bears true. Wholeness, coming to wholeness, seems to require a component of being interdependent with people. So that may come as a surprise or a bummer to you if you want to just continue to be isolated. But the, the idea is you're probably not going to get completely whole if you stay isolated. You're not going to really grow. You're going to hit a wall if you don't willingly, of your own free will, get connected with people in the body of Christ. Getting quiet in this church. You're thinking, right? So now listen to this scripture. Paul is, I think, writing to some of these issues in his letter to the church at Ephesus. And he uses the, the body a language about each part connected and supplying something from the other parts with the growth story as well. He says these words, Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who's the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament. Every part is supporting, that's what holds us together is us. Joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's, there's a lot in there. But there, you see the connectedness, and you see each part participating 
in the giving of life, and you see the result of growth and building up, and it's all covered in the context of love. That language you'll see all over Paul's writing. And it's brilliant, and it's worth thinking about. The first phrase gets back to real people, speaking the truth in love. So if we're real and we're getting rid of the facades, I will tell you the truth about me. And I might be bold enough to tell you the truth about you. Have you ever had anyone tell you the truth about you? (laughs) That sometimes hurts, doesn't it? But that's how it works. Thankfully, Paul's wisdom, he's like a brilliant psychologist. He understands the soul so well. He said, speaking the truth in love. Now, sometimes people want to speak the truth, but no love. And that does no good, does it? Have you ever had a no love truth speaker tell you something? Thank you very much, but go away. But some people want to have love, but not speak the truth. And that's no good either. I'm just, you're okay, I'm okay, it's fine. Aren't you cute? Everything's good. You got to speak the truth in love. In that context, which is real people, authentic, with compassion, with mercy, interdependent, choosing to give and choosing to receive, now supplying what each part lacks, grow together and build ourselves up in love. The idea being the path of spiritual growth is always in the context of community, or mostly outside of the few things I said, yes, we sometimes do things alone. Yeah, we have time for, I think, one more passage of Scripture where where Paul deals with some of these issues. But again, I've got to pause and ask you the question. If this is true, and you're a follower of Jesus, are you in community where you can speak the truth in love and others can speak the truth in love to you? so that you can grow. And if not, are you thinking, I'm not going to say amen, that was good, and go home and change nothing in my life? Or are you going to think, I'm going to make it my business to get connected somehow, some way? And I'm just practically, communities like this or other churches almost always nowadays understand these values. They have some kind of smaller group structure where you can get together with people, nowadays on Zoom, nowadays in person, where you together read the Bible together and then talk about its meaning together and talk about its application to each other and to yourselves, where you pray for each other, where you encourage each other. I'm telling you, if you're not living that way, I'm missing out. And I don't want to miss out. I love ice cream. And you're not bringing the ice cream if you're being independent. You see that? But if you and I are connected with other members of the body so that we're giving and receiving and we're growing together, then the parts where you're connected are connected with the parts where I'm connected and we're all growing together and we're all supplying and we're all receiving love and giving love We're all becoming whole. We're being healed in community. 
we're being people that are not offended every time someone looks at us sideways because we've grown emotionally mature. We are not living under the control of addiction. We're not living under the control of sin because we're speaking the truth to each other and we respond to each other. We are becoming whole, we're becoming strong, and I'm getting the good stuff from you, and you're getting the good stuff from me. And as we'll see next week, the world around us is getting the good stuff from us. Independence is not an option. Interdependence is not optional. It's part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, so the last bit of scripture for you, and I won't spend a long, a long time. You, yeah, let me just check in. Are you guys doing good? You're good? Okay. I have, you're not, no, I'm not seeing a lot of snoring, so, okay, we're connected. Wake up. Let's get this to the end, Ron. Last scripture. This is Paul writing to the church at Colossae, Colossians. I've read this many times in this church, but it's so powerful. We ought to memorize it. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So the starting place is you know who you are. You know your identity because you are God's holy people separated unto God and because you know that you are dearly loved by God and chosen by him. I mean, what value that the creator of the universe chose me and dearly loves me. Because that's who I am, and that's who I am with you, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, patience, Bear with each other. Well, that comes out in community. I got to put up with you and you got to put up with me. And forgive whatever grievances. Does anyone grieve you? Got, got some beef with somebody? Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. And he doesn't stop there. He says, you know, I think I better, I better make that a little stronger. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know how the Lord forgave you. Big time. Well, use that as the measure of how you forgive someone. Forgive anyone who has, you have a grievance against. And over all these virtues, so those are virtues, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Put on love, which binds all the virtues together in perfect unity. Unity means we all love ice cream. <laughs> Even though some of us like apple pie with cheddar cheese. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Sense as members of one body. Members of one body. Remember when we did the Lord's Prayer? Our was the first word. Our. Whenever I pray, I'm thinking our. This is our Father, not my Father. He's my Father, but he's our Father. You're members of one body. You were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the, here's some activity. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. See, spiritual growth is happening in community here. As you sing psalms, like we did this morning, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whether it's in what you say or what you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's on my mind. Remember, the first thing I said is, what gets me up is I want people to encounter Jesus. Because if they encounter him, they'll fall in love with him and they'll worship him. 
and then they'll grow and they'll be interdependent and wonderful things happen. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything with him in my mind. And giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. Father, we come to you in prayer asking that you establish your word in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we welcome you right now to speak the way only you can to us, your people. Holy Spirit, we ask you to minister right now. Give out gifts. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we look to you as our Savior and our example, our older brother, the one we're following, learning to be like you. Our Trinity God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we look to you and say, let your kingdom come upon us. Not only reveal to us the truth that we are called to be mutually interdependent, that we are called to spiritual growth, that the path of spiritual growth is in the context of community. Not only let that truth be settled in our mindset and our worldview, but we pray that you would empower us to enact those truths in our lives so that we can grow together, so that we can become whole, that we can become mature and be a blessing not only to each other, but the world around us. That as we love each other, the world would see we are disciples of Jesus. And they could taste and see that the Lord is good. So that people everywhere are meeting you, encountering you, knowing you, and worshiping you. Let's stand together, just kind of change posture. If you're able to stand, if you're not able to stand, then don't stand. And Amy and Jay are minstrels and psalmists today. I'd love to have you. Do you know that old Keith Green song? Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I seek for when your eyes are on this child your grace abounds to me Lord you're beautiful your face is all we seek we've tasted and seen that you are good <laughs> next verse is going on over here Lord please light the fire that once burned bright and clean, replace the lamp of my first love. Mm, Lord, light the fire. I'm going to step out of the way. We're going to close with a song of worship. If you are people that pray, would love to have you come down in the front, pray like four people. Have a few people at least come down here. If you're in the room and you could use prayer, come and avail yourself to the people that are up front. Some powerful exchange happens when we pray. There's a blessing 
and a presence that you can get no other way than having a brother or sister just lay their hands on you and bless you. Power is released. Blessing is released. If you're someone who has had difficulty receiving from people, that's like a log jam. You can picture a river and the logs all get stacked up and the water can't flow. That can be broken with the power of the Spirit. If you have difficulty opening yourself up to receive, come and have one of these people bless you and pray over you. So let me, let me say a blessing over you and then we'll close with some worship and I, it's probably coffee and hangout time. Stay as long as you want until the lights go off and they lock the doors. <laughs> um, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you sustain you, maintain your life. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you rest. Rest from all your striving. The Lord give you rest. I love this last phrase. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. I picture a, a grandfather or a father with face beaming in love, his countenance on the child. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org, where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.